Good morning. Is it audible? Okay. Uh, greetings, greetings, greetings to everyone that is here today. I greet you all. And um, I just want to thank God for Pretoria West Bible Church and uh, the leadership of this church. It is indeed a joy for me to be here to come and share the word of God with, with you. And I bring greetings from Midland Chapel. They were very, very excited uh, to hear that um, I will be preaching here. They are praying for us um, in this session and they, they are praying for you as a church because when uh, Pretoria West was launched, it was just a joy for, for, for many of us uh, to see what God is doing in this part of, of, of Pretoria. Exciting, exciting times that, um, that we are living in. So this morning... I would um, like us to look at the topic of uh, sanctification in, in the knowledge of our Lord um, Jesus Christ. And my text is from Second Peter chapter number 1, verse um, 16 to 18. And um, I will read this portion and we will pray. Let us read. For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born, to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves had this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Let us pray. Father, we would like to thank you um, for your word. We would like to thank you for Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. And thank you for the opportunity to pray in the name of, of Jesus Christ who came into this world, put on flesh, lived perfectly a righteous and a holy life before you, Father, obeying you, O God, even to the point of dying the shameless, the shameful death on the cross. This morning, as we go into your way, O God, we ask that may you purify us and sanctify us by your word. May you, O God, remind us of your beautiful truth, O God, the gospel that brings liberty and freedom to our souls. I pray for my hearers, O God, that as they listen in, help them, O God, to follow, O oh God, and I ask, praying for myself, weak as I am, O oh God, I ask 
that you work through my weaknesses, O oh God, um, that you take over, Lord, and just uh, help me, O oh God, where it might even be difficult for me to explain, O oh God, and speak. I ask that by your Spirit, may you work a work in the heart and the lives of your people and use all the good, O oh God, and the difficulties of this sermon for your glory and your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bazalani, we live in a, 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 a culture that honors lies and, 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 and deceptions. I mean, one good example to see that is in the life of, 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 of children and their parents. When children want something from, from their parents, the parents can, with a straight face, knowing that they will not be able to do what their children are asking for, they will, with a straight face, say, I will certainly do it. Mom, can you buy me a bicycle, for example? The parent says, yeah, 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 I will buy you an, a, a bicycle. Mom, can, can, can I get sweets immediately after having my supper? Yes, 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 yes. Please, please finish your food. After finishing your food, you will get your sweets. And some parents do this knowing fully very well that this is, is, is a promise that they are not going to keep. This is not what they are going to do. But it's not just in homes or with parents and, and children. It's just in culture, at work. Bosses and managers are promising uh, their employees and subordinates that if you guys reach your targets and you work very hard, this is an incentive that we are going to give to you. And because of the pressure of work, managers and superiors are doing this just as a way of motivating the workforce, but they know very well that their budget wouldn't allow them to give them uh, incentives. So our lives and the culture and the communities where we are in are just riddled with lies and deceptions and misleading. And the scripture that we get to this morning is no different. The culture that the Apostle Peter writes to this morning is no different. In the church that we are looking at this morning, it was just a Christians who were in exile and the false teachers and prophets have infiltrated the church and one of their biggest weapons was just a weapon of deceptions and lies and misleading that they have used to draw away believers from who Christ is so that they can be able to reach their end, which is really just wickedness, unholiness, and deceiving of the church. So this morning, I would like us to look at this text before us and look at three points, which is be ye holy because you know the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ye holy because you know the majestic honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And be ye holy because those that went before you were holy. Just as a way of background, we see that the Apostle Peter writes to the Christians who are scattered in dispersion 
in various regions and, 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 and countries in the Asia Minor, and he's dealing with the issue of false prophets who are living immoral lives and who are teaching a false gospel, and they are drawing the church into these unholy lives. They do this by poking holes into the faith of the church, casting doubt on the promises of God. And one big promise that they were poking holes into is the promise that Jesus Christ will come back again to judge the living and the dead and to reward those that have lived righteously before him. They are doing that as well. The false prophets were just dealing with, with these with this believers by, by making them doubt their own salvation. The, the, the assurance of, of salvation of these believers was under threat. Their, their confidence in the word of God and the scriptures, their confidence in who Christ is and, and, and what Christ has given over to the church was under the threat. So the apostle writes to expose to expose this, this false prophets. And the apostle says that the, 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 the best way you guys are going to defeat these people, these charlatans, is if you have a stable and a, a deep knowledge of Christ. He says in verse 2 of uh, chapter number 1, May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse number five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge. Verse, verse, number, verse number eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep, they keep you from being ineffective or un unfruitful in the knowledge, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles really wants to establish this church in the knowledge of um, Jesus Christ. And he says, for those that are in the church that are not growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ will not grow in sanctification. They will not be able to bear fruits of true repentance and the gospel. And then in verse number, verse number 12, he says to them, I am going to be reminding you guys each and every time repeatedly as I get the opportunity, what am, I, what am I going to remind you? I'm going to remind you that you ought to know Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are supposed 
to be growing in displaying the qualities of holiness. He says it's going to be my effort to remind you that these are the qualities that you are supposed to possess. And he says because if, 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 if you don't, if you don't possess these qualities, he's quite scathing. In verse number nine, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so near sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So he insists that those that are showing these qualities are growing in holiness, are growing in Christ, and those that don't show these qualities are not saved. They are nearsighted. They are blind. We take that from the great hymn, Amazing Grace. I was blind. Now I see. So if I don't show these qualities that the apostle speaks about in chapter number one, it's very clear that it means I am not saved. So in verse 12 he says, I am going to make it my business to be reminding you repeatedly that remember the qualities of, of, of the fruit of the gospel are supposed to be displayed in your life. And one other thing that we see is, I just want to walk through the, some of these qualities that he mentions. This is not an exhaustive list of the qualities of sanctification, but he's just giving them an overview of how a Christian life will look like. In verse number 5, he says, verse number 5 of chapter 1, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and with love. So he's saying to them, we just need to be seeing, coming out of your life, basking godliness, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a, a, a godly life, and brotherly affliction, the love of fellowship and love of, of getting together, the, 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 the desire to want to serve one another. And then of all this, he just keeps them with love. And as I say, this is not an exhaustive list of what a sanctified life is, but he's just showing the church that these are some of the qualities that you need to be looking at. verse 12 he says I will be reminding you of these qualities he says though you know them and are established in the truth you know these qualities they are in you and you are established in the truth what is this truth that the church is established in the truth that the church is established in is the gospel it is the message of the gospel that the church 
have received when they received their salvation. And that gospel is the basis for their sanctification. So he now gets to verse number 16. That is where our text is. And he argues for the established truth. He argues for that gospel. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if we are going to be stable and established in sanctification and in the growing knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that we need to understand is how did we receive the gospel? How did we receive the gospel and what is the gospel and where does it come from? So he makes the point to say the gospel that we have, it was not a concussion of, of ideas and myths and tales that a, a few guys in Jerusalem just came up with so that they can hand over to, to the church the way that the false teachers are doing. He says, no, no, but what we have and what we, are giving, what, what we are giving to you, it is not something that we devised ourselves. It is not something that we made up ourselves. And all of us here who have been in, 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 a, in, a, in a distorted gospel environment will know how powerful, and I use the word loosely powerful, how powerful and how cleverly and, and how good the, 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 the sayings and, 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 and the word of a, 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 a devised by men, how, how just, as it were, colorful it is. Something along the lines of, there will be a desert for your desert experience. <laughs> your, 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 your test will bring you a, a, a testimony. Imagine, imagine Paul going through all the shipwreck and, and uh, passing, you know, uh, rivers upon rivers, going to Galatia or going to wherever, and just to tell people that your, your desert experience will give you a descent. There will be sweetness at the end of your life. So he's saying, this is not what we are doing here. We are not looking for nice things to say. We are not looking for, 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 for colorful words to, 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 to speak to you. What, what we have is not something that we devised ourselves. And we are not just looking, I mean, more so in their context, for, for clever, mystical ways of the modern day Greece and Rome to give to the church. He says, what we are giving to you, we are giving to you an eyewitness account of what we saw God begin to do in the life of Jesus Christ and what he has passed on to us as his apostles. So the gospel that the church has is what Christ himself has given to the apostles. And that is what we need to be looking at. 
That is what we need to be, to be careful to, to be hearing. As a man begins to claim to preach and teach, to say what, what this guy is saying, does it sound anything uh, similar to what James will preach? Does it sound anything similar to what John will preach? Does it sound anything similar to what Peter will preach? Because they say what we have and what we are giving to you, it is the account of what we have seen with our own life. The question is, what did Peter, Paul, James, Bartholomew, and all these guys see? What did they see? I, I bring it to you that they saw Christ manifesting his power. Manifesting his power when he wrought miracle, when he worked miracle in the streets of, of Jerusalem and, and, and Galilee and Judea. They saw Christ, they saw Christ demonstrate his power when, when he healed the sick, when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he made the mute to talk. And we know that this is the account that the false teachers and prophets like, right? The miracle. And, and, and the attempt is to say, we want to demonstrate what uh, Christ has also done. In fact, they go further to say, we can do more than what Christ has done. And I just go to two places in the Bible every time when I speak to these people and I say to them, uh-huh, so you guys can do more, even more than what Christ has done? They said, yes, yes, we do more, even more than what Christ has done. I said, before you go to more than what Christ has done, can you start at least with what he has done? When John records to us in John chapter number 2 that there was a wedding at Canaan, and then when the, the, the wine was finished in that wedding, uh, they had to replenish it. And what was the best way to replenish it than for Mary to tell the, 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 the groomsmen to say, go to, to Jesus and listen to whatever he says, whatever he tells you to do, you must do it. And they pour water into beans and Christ turns that water into wine. Show me one charlatan in Pretoria, Johannesburg, Deben or Cape Town who has dared to turn water into one. Before he even tries to fly in the air, can we just bring a bucket of water and have this guy turn this water into one? He can't. Why is it that they can't turn water into one? Because that was God's signature on the ministry of Christ. That was God confirming who his son was, that this Jesus Christ, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator that can change the elements of nature. He can turn water into one. And to this day, 2,000 years later, they are flying, they are spitting, they are vomiting. We're still waiting for them to give us one little miracle of changing water into one. And I know the excuse very soon is going to be that we have water scarcity. But that is the point. Peter says, we have, we have seen with our eyes 
what Christ has done, and it has become very clear to us that this is God confirming his son for us. But it was not only the apostles that were the eyewitnesses of who Christ was. Even his opposers, even his enemies, in the form of Pharisees and Sadducees, knew that Christ was from God. And when, when I read the story of, 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 of Nicodemus, I hear that one day Nicodemus went to, to Jesus Christ tiptoeing and, and trying to hide, sneaking himself in. And there is a great statement that Nicodemus said in that conversation. And it is this. He says to Christ, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless is with God. So the, the apostles were the eyewitnesses of this, and this was very evident in the life of Christ, and not only in the lives of the apostles, but in the lives of everyone that was around Christ. This is the very same power that Christ, according to Peter, and in context with this verse, that he will be coming back with. And that's what he wants them to understand. That, you see, when they deny the second coming of Christ, he says to the church, when these guys are, are poking holes into God's promise about the second coming of Christ, they, 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 are, they, are, they are going straight against the power of God. And, and he says, we announce to you, we make known to you, we declare to you, we proclaim to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because we were the eyewitnesses of his message. So this is the same power that works sanctification in us. This is the same power that we see in verse number 3 when he says, His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The power of God is the power that takes out the heart of stone and brings in the heart of flesh. It is, the, it is the power that sets the slave free from all kinds of, of yokes of sin and patterns and habits. It is, it is this same power that rescues a, a wretched sinner from the kingdom of darkness and transfers him into the kingdom of of, of, of his dear son. It is, it is the real power that, that, that washes whiter, that washes whiter than the snow. And my question to you this morning is, do you know this very sanctifying power of Jesus Christ, the son of God? Do you walk under the heavy impact of the sanctifying power? Or do you just walk in superficial holiness, not aware that you are a divine partaker, that you are a partaker in the divine nature of God. Are you growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Or are you just growing with the flow unbothered by the patterns of sin and its deadly consequences? I want us now to look 
at the second point, which is be ye holy because you know the majestic honor and glory of Jesus Christ. After verse 16 saying, for we did not follow cleverly devised means when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. Right from verse number 16, although I'm taking you to the eyewitness cases, various eyewitness cases, where, where the apostles witnessed Christ in his power, there is a very specific instance that the apostle has here when he tells us about the eyewitness experience. And that is the account of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ carries these very two elements. The element of the apostles being the eyewitnesses, not only the eyewitnesses, but the ear witnesses. They have seen Christ in his glory. They have, when, when he says we have seen Christ in his glory, we admit and acknowledge and affirm that the various miracles that Christ did were, were showing forth his glory. But the, the culmination of his earthly ministry and the total display of his glory, it was at the Mount of Transfiguration. At the Mount of Transfiguration, According to Mark, Luke and John write about this as well, the three apostles, namely John, Peter and James, had an opportunity to go up the mountain with Jesus Christ. And when they were up on that mountain, Mark says, Christ was transfigured. Christ was changed and a certain level or should I say dimension, certain level, certain dimension of, of, of glory was seen in him. And the way he explains it, he says he became white. His clothes became radiant and white as though there is no bleach on the surface of the earth that can get them to be whiter than that. And that was just the real showing of the glory of Jesus Christ. This is the glory that we know that while he walked the streets of Galilee and Judea, he didn't carry it in that displayed and manifested manner. I hope you will agree with me that as he walked into the market in Jerusalem, as he was going on, on, on his business, I mean, he didn't carry this radiant glory 
with him. It was, it was veiled by humanity. It was covered as it were by his body. That is why Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter number 53, verse 2 and 3 say, he was despised and we esteemed him. So Jesus Christ could have potentially in those days just walked into this church and you were never going to know that he is Jesus Christ unless he begins to speak and teach or he works some miracles. So he was just like us. He took on flesh just like us. And this, this glory of his, the, the divinity and, and the glory that he carried was not always displayed at this level that it was displayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. I wrote here in my notes, I say, he became what he was not, namely man, without ever ceasing to become what he was, namely God. His, his, his divinity was just covered over by his body. As it, as it is, it was a, a blanket. But Peter wants us to understand that on that mountain, at a point in time, Bush, it was opened to them. They saw the glory of Christ with their naked eye. When the false teachers and the false prophets were coming in with their, their false gospel, it was this glory of Christ that was at stake. It was this very nature and divinity of Christ that was there. Because one of the things that they will teach was that um, Christ was not divine. That Christ was not God. That Christ was not the Son of God. I think there's a place in the Bible where Jesus Christ asked the Pharisees and Sadducees, he asked them, who, who, who is the Messiah? And they give him a very simple answer. They say, the Messiah is the son of David. And they really are choosing to end there because they don't want to say he is the son of David. He is the son of God. They, they, they avoid coming to the point that he is the son of God because if he be the son of God, then he be God. And if he be God, why don't you believe in him? If he be God, why don't you believe in his gospel. So Peter says, we have seen this with our eyes and now he says, we, we even heard a voice coming down from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Luke chapter number 9, verse 35, records a more detail to this. He says, he says, this is my beloved son, whom I love. Listen to him. So there is an element in, 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 in Christ, in knowing Christ, that it is not only Christ that we see his glory and, and bow down in worship to his glory, but it is the Christ that we must, that we must hear 
and, and, and listen to. As, as the apostles were listening to the voice from heaven of God, the same way that they tremble in hearing that Jesus Christ surely is the Son of God, we are also are to tremble at the teachings of Christ. We are to listen to him. We are to obey him. And how do we do that? We hear Christ speaks when we open our Bibles and read them. Although I will not get to that in my sermon, as he goes on in verse number 19 and, and, and 20 and 21, he makes a strong case for the scriptures in saying what, what, what you are to listen to and what you are to hear and what you are to base your, your faith on is the words that we as the apostles are giving to you and that is scripture to you. So, we must be familiar with the voice of Christ. We must be familiar with his word. We must be familiar with his saying. Because there is no holiness. There is no holiness without the words of Christ. There is no holiness. There is no sanctification. There, there, is, no, there is no active participation in the divine nature of God if we are not listening to what Christ is saying if we are not hearing what he is telling to his, to his church. So by being far away from our Bibles, by finding our Bibles boring, and by, by merely just visiting them once in a while, we miss an opportunity, a moment close to what the apostle felt and, and had when they were in that mount of crucifixion, when he said they heard a thunderous voice, a glorious and a holy voice that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He says we ourselves heard that voice from heaven. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven. The question to me this morning is which voice are you hearing in your life and where does it come from? Which voice are you most obeying and where does it come from? The voice that you hear and the voice that you are obeying, is it the voice that leads you to sanctification? Is it the voice that will make you holy? Is it the voice, is it the voice that will purify you? Or is it the voice like the voice of the false prophets that will distort the true message that you have heard from the beginning. This is that the right place to pray. Sanctify me by your weight because your weight is true. The last point that we look at is be holy because those that went before you were holy. He closes the section where we are reading by saying for we were with him on that holy mountain. What we see here is that as Jesus and the apostles went up that mountain of transfiguration, before this occurrence, it was not a holy mountain. What makes it a holy mountain what makes Peter calls it the holy mountain, it is because of the, the divinity and, and, and the holiness of God that came into that place and enveloped that whole area. 
we, we are made to understand that holy man, holy man appeared on that mountain. Mark and Luke tell us that when this transfiguration and the changing and the, and, and, and the showing forth of the glory of Christ was being made manifest on that mountain, there were two witnesses that came there by the name of Moses and Elijah. And these are men that are known to be holy men. And in, 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 in consistency with what God has always done when he has shown up in a special way in places, in, in, there's a story in Exodus when he appears to Moses in the burning bush and as Moses got closer to that burning bush, he said, uh-uh, take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground. What makes that place a holy ground? It is a holy ground because God himself was manifest there. Joshua of old, when he was just faced with the battle and he sees the army, he sees the commander of the armies of the Lord as he wants to get closer to him, he said, take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I submit to us this morning that even ourselves, we are the holy ground because, because we are the dwelling place of Christ. And, and, and the holiness by which we, 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 we have possession of because of the Holy Spirit that indwells us calls for us to constantly grow in sanctification. The apostles that were on that mountain were holy men, the witnesses that came from the Old Testament representing the times of the law and the times of the prophets were holy men. Therefore, even the church in this state is, is, is supposed to be holy because its forebears and those that ran before them were holy. The examples that, that are the witnesses that are before the church are, are the witnesses that were holy. And, 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 and the false prophets, and when we read in, in, in chapter number two of this letter, we begin to, to hear this scathing report that Peter gives of, of, of the false prophet. And one thing that stands out about this false prophet is that they are not holy men. They are not holy men. They are wicked men. And he just used a, a very powerful uh, 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 word to just explain who they are. But we come to one conclusion when we read chapter number two is that these men are holy men. Anyone who names the names of the Lord is to run away from them, is to avoid them, is to, is to mark them and never wants to come anywhere close to them or give them any attention because they do not bear the mark of holiness. And this is the very thing that we know that the church of God ought to be known about. The holiness of God. The fear of God. The holy reverence of, 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 of the Father. So, as we come to the end of our message this morning, I just want you to think about your life to say, is it a life 
that is governed by the gospel and the word of God that was put together by men who were eyewitnesses, who walked with Christ, not only walked with him, but saw his glory revealed. I want you to think about your life, to say your life, is it a life that is governed by the ear, witness account of what the apostles have heard of Christ and have heard from Christ and is it that that you are listening to? And I want you to think about your life to say, is your life following a pattern of holiness from bear, forbearers who have walked a life of godliness or you find role models and people that inspire you that have absolutely nothing to do with the holiness of God. So there is still um, a lot of work to be done in us if all these people that are not saved, that are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God are inspiring us. We are learning from wicked men that are, 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 are disputing the existence of God, then we can know that we are not standing on holy ground. We are not standing on the holy mountain of God. We cannot even ascend to the holy mountain of God if our ways are not pure, if our hearts are not excited and enjoy the holy things of God. Let us bow our heads. Our dear Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to, to hear your word. Thank you, Lord, that you speak. You speak today through your son, Jesus Christ, and you appoint weak vessels of men to convey this message. And Father, this morning, we just want to receive by faith that which you have delivered to us, O God. Help us to be grounded, O Father, in this gospel, the account that you have first given to the apostles and the prophets to hand over to us. May our lives, may our marriages, may our families, may our businesses, May all our dealings, O oh God, be grounded on your word. Be grounded on the gospel. Be grounded on Christ, who is the carrier of your glory. We ask all of this, O oh God, in Christ's name. Amen.